Kevin Bowen here. Don't forget to listen to The Fan now on 93.5 or 107.5 FM. And check out our latest coverage online at 1075thefan.com. And we are back. Kevin's Corner after a week off. Two weeks from report day for training camp 2022 at Grand Park. Uh, Chris Presley, this is where I start to get the itch. Yep. And I know that can be interpreted in a lot of ways, but um, (laughs) I do really enjoy this time of year of like, all right, soak in the final few days, soak in the final few quiet weekends, and then we get answers to questions that we've been asking for quite a while. And I've said this on the radio several times over the past few weeks. I think the confidence that I have in the Colts within the AFC South, it's not just the Colts. The other three teams influence this as well. It's probably at a level that I haven't been this high on them in quite some time. I get the Andrew Luck years get a little complicated in there. Um, But I think there is reason for optimism. Uh, Certainly some questions still to be answered, and we'll continue to go over those. But fun time of year as the countdown clock reaches less than two weeks. Yes, it is. And as you saw, I'm sure, on uh, NFL's main Twitter stream yesterday, they posted the different pro bowlers that we've added and they feel like the Colts are kind of an an underdog but they should not be an underdog and and we'll see how these pro bowlers that are coming in are going to favor for our Indianapolis Colts without a doubt uh the topic on today's pod uh, screams summer it screams July (laughs) and as we asked about uh, I guess a few weeks ago now inquiring minds uh all right some summer-ish topics in the NFL. Right. Uh, Zach Kiefer, you saw him come out with the Luck Podcast series on Monday. I thought it was a terrific listen for those that have not tuned into it yet. We did have a question, I think, kind of on that, so I'll save my thoughts a little bit deeper into the pod because I don't want to pour too much salt into wounds. Um, but Aaron, a loyal listener Aaron, uh, messaged me a while back and has continued to message me. In the past few months, Chris, wondering when are we going to get to his topic idea? And his topic idea is the juicy one of Ryan Grigson versus Chris Ballard. Yes. Comparing the eras, comparing their approaches as general managers. Um, Boy, it's uh, you can spark a flame in this Mm -hmm. market with that. Uh, You could potentially spark a flame with one or two of those men in bringing up this topic. Uh, but nonetheless, I thought it would be time to touch on that, explain it, look back on the eras, see where things are moving forward. And I know that for some people, they might think this is an idiotic topic and they might skip forward to Twitter questions. So go right ahead and do that for others. Um, you know, hopefully it's a fun little listen and comparing, I think, two very different approaches. Um, and if you look at the results, you can see good and bad in both of those. And, uh, yeah, I just felt like July 12th, Chris, what better time than now to do that? Well, we took last week off. How was your 4th of July? It was good. It was good. Um, yeah, I was up uh, at my in-law's lake house. Always enjoy getting up there. One of my favorite weeks of the year. Um, it's a really fun time. Rosie had a blast. Played a couple rounds of golf. Great weather. Great people. Um, yeah, it was good. How about you? It was good. Um, I, I uh, <laughs> sent you a text message. I told I said on the podcast that I was going to be up at Lake Freeman. Um, I had someone approach me and shake my hand, and they said, Chris Presley? And I said, yeah. They are like, uh, I'm from Wisconsin. 
and you said on the podcast that you would be here and I saw a tall guy with a beard and I figured you must be Chris Presley and there was like two or three thousand people there so boom that was that was kind of funny to have uh, our loyal listeners um on Wisconsin baby approach you yeah so it 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 was uh it was a good time. I love that. That is great. Well, thank you to that listener. Uh, did you get a name? Uh, I do. I feel bad now that hey. I that I'm not saying Badger it. Bill. We'll call him Badger Bill. Okay. Uh, Badger Bill for coming up to you and saying that. So he was like, "Hey, when are you getting the tattoo with the the, the, the Bill's tattoo? Uh, <laughs> hell's gonna free freeze over before. No, Chris it's Presley gonna happen. But gets that tattoo. Um. But the Grixon Ballard, especially here locally, um, and even within our building, Dan Dockage, as most people know, is uh, has voiced his opinion. What are your thoughts on Grixon and Ballard? Yeah, it, it's interesting. Um, I, I, I guess I'll start here with where I think things differ. Um, you know, I think so many times when a general manager is hired, we only talk about the draft that's it that is and if it's not it chris it's 80 90 percent it right and i think it's a lot more i mean you're, you're the gm of an organization i mean you're overseeing everything in that football operations and for both of these men they hired the head coaches mm-hmm. you know obviously ryan hired chuck and chris bauer hired frank reich after the josh mcdaniels fiasco I would think one thing that is much more in symmetry, in cohesion, with the Ballard era versus the Grigson era is the symmetry of the coaching staff, aligning on the same pages. Um, Frank Wright and Chris Ballard are very close and I think have very similar philosophies than the previous regime had in Ryan Grigson and Chuck Pagano. We It's well documented, the issues there and the – you know, honestly, the psychological right. um, help that was needed, which sounds rather crazy when you're talking about a head coach and GM. Um, so I, I do think it's much more cohesive here. I would say the other big pro in the Ballard camp would be the foundation moving forward. When you look at how you build an NFL roster – how you try to sustain a longish-term amount of success, you have got to draft well. You've got to string draft classes together. Um, You want guys to grow together. You want to continue to be in strong cap situations moving forward. Yep. And as you look at both of their tenures, um, the trend of the Ballard tenure continues to be on pretty good ground, whereas the trend in the Grigson era – started to really crack from a draft standpoint. I mean, if you look at the 2013, 14, and 15 drafts in the Grixon era, it is one of the worst, most horrific, ugliest, most putrid, whatever you want to call it. Uh, It's one of the more pitiful drafting performances you're going to see out there. And honestly, I think it's part of a big reason why you haven't seen Ryan Grixon's name pop up again um, in in the front line of GM candidates. Because you look at his win-loss record, and you're like, oh wow, you know, there's there, there's something there, and we will get to that. Right. Uh, but the drafting, which I get back to the earlier point of, for so many people that takes on more of an onus, which I understand why it does. Uh, but the swings and misses, 
with Bjorn Werner and Hugh Thornton and, you know, Philip Dorsett and Dijon Smith. And I'm sure I'm forgetting. I mean, throw some trades in there, obviously, of, of Trent Richardson. You struggled to have any sort of pieces to grow, particularly on the defensive side of the ball. And um, as you were getting ready to pay Andrew Luck, you started to be in a situation where it's like, oh, my God, we have to patchwork this together constantly in free agency. And it was almost like Jim Mercer kind of saw the writing on the wall and was like, this is not going to go well the next couple of years. We're just going to cut ties with it right now and move on before it gets really, really bad. And I think a lot of Indianapolis fans, at least me speaking personally, knowing that Ryan Grixon played for Philly, correct? He was an offensive lineman for the Eagles. Yeah, I want to say drafted by Cincinnati for a minute. Um, didn't have a long career. I think some health concerns but, contribute to that. But didn't until his final his final draft, was we finally got Ryan Kelly mid to late first yeah, round. Yeah, 2016 draft. That, we knew we needed to address the line, and I think a lot of Indianapolis fans were kind of like, dude, you played in the trenches. You should draft an offensive lineman. And I think that's something, at least for me, like I said, and this is only my take, that kind of wore some fans out is how do you not address the offensive line, which is something that you should know a little bit better. You know, it's funny you bring that up, Chris. Ryan and I have had a lot of conversations over the years about offensive line philosophy. And he really aligns with how Bill Polian thinks about the offensive line in that, and if you look at where Grigson's scouting history comes from, the Rams and the Eagles, Mm -hmm. this kind of falls in line with it as well, whereas the interior, in particular the offensive line, just doesn't matter as much. There are just some areas where you rank a roster 1 to 22, you got a penny pinch. You know, that is just the nature of the business with such a hard cap. And if you look at the – Napoleon built offensive lines, the Super Bowl team. Name me the two offensive guards to start on the Super Bowl team. You know, uh, you're, you're right. I can't. Like, I'm not trying to put you on the spot here. No, like, I, it's something that I would have to double check and go back and like look up. That was just the approach there. Of we're just gonna penny pitch a little bit there, and we'll start to attack you know other positions that matter more. And I actually agree. With that philosophy, uh, it got to approach with Ballard, ironically, because if you recall this, when Ballard first took the job in 2017, he looked at LaRaven Clark and Joe Haig and Ryan Kelly and you know some of those other guys, and he thought there was something to work with there. Mm-hmm. He actually felt like some of those Grigson late O-line draft picks um, – had a little bit of something there. Now, when the 2017 season unfolds and Brissett gets the shit knocked out of him through the entire year, that's when Ballard is like, screw it. Luck's coming back. He's had injury after injury after injury. We have got to go to the nth degree to get this right. And that's where you see Nelson and Braden Smith being those early picks and obviously a serious investment made there. Grigson, I, I think a misconception there is, he tried on the O-line. He just failed. Um, Donald Thomas, Gosder shareless in free agency in 2013. Gosder, I think a little bit more. Donald Thomas you know, had some injuries. Yeah. But Hugh, Hugh Thornton and Colin Holmes, Chris, they couldn't block you or I. And, and, and that was a problem. Um, some injuries played into that as well. Um, Jack Newhort had some injuries 
that I think you would throw in there. So right. um, I think that is where you really had um, issues offensive line-wise. The other place I would say that those two differ would be in the free agency approach. And I honestly think you want to marry a little bit of each. Uh, Gregson probably a little bit too spendy. Ballard probably not enough spendy if you want to go that route. I think Gregson looked at it, and they won so much early, 11 games that first season. And then it was like, oh, wow, this is a chance to capitalize. And you're seeing that right now. I mean, look at what the Chargers just, just did this past offseason. Right. They're like, a part of it is the division they're in. But they look at it and they're like, hey, Justin Herbert's only going to be making $7 billion per year for <laughs> not a, not much longer time. So we've really got to take advantage of it right now. Um, so I guess going back to the foundation point, Chris, Chris Ballard, as the foundation from a draft pick continuity standpoint in a much uh, in a smoother situation of you're keeping your own, you're retaining your own, you're still going to be in a pretty good cap situation, those sorts of things. Whereas the Grigson era, excuse me, Ballard has the Colts in that good spot. Whereas the Grigson era, it was not going there at all. Um, you know, you had that long run there where it was like, which Colts draft pick is going to get a second contract to stay in Indy? Mm-hmm. Finally, it was Clayton Gathers that like broke that seal and didn't break it for very long. Right. Um, where I think Grigson deserves some credit is that I think Grigson found pieces, and in Anthony Costanzo's case, the piece was already in the building. The positions that mattered, he found some answers there. Now, luck is obvious. But the draft pick of T.Y. Hilton was extraordinary. And I know there's there's been a lot of stories on were the Colts really trading up to draft T.Y. Hilton, et cetera, et cetera. Whatever. T.Y. Hilton was the draft pick. Give the man some credit for that. And the trade from Vontae Davis was brilliant. I mean, we forget in that run to the AFC title game in 2014, the best player on the Colts during that run was Vontae Davis. He was outstanding in that run. Now, again, did the Vontae Davis tenure last for five, six years, no. It, it ended a little bit weird and awkward. But during that 2014 season, at a critical position, corner, right. especially in that defense, he was huge for you. And, and I think I mentioned this before on the on this podcast because I listened to another podcast uh, that's produced by a competitor of ours. Um, Adrian Foster said the hardest person for him, they, they said – who was the hardest person to shake on a tackle? And almost like a Kenny Moore stat, he said Vontae Davis for the Colts hmm. was always the person that I could never get around. Yeah. And I thought that Denver game in Denver in the divisional round game, kind of a low-scoring game, where Vontae, I remember, got banged up, and you're wondering, well, is he going to come out for the second half? And it was so important that he did um, and was critical in that game and beating Peyton Manning and Demarius Thomas and Emmanuel Sander or Eric Decker probably back then as well yeah. with, with with Denver and some of those other guys. Um, and, you know, I thought one of his better free agent signings, it's not a long list of good free agent signings, but I thought Eric Walden ha- had a nice run here. And, again, that is a pass-rushing sort of position, mm-hmm. uh, definitely. So this era, the Ballard era, has not hit on that. And, again, luck, I can, like you know, Ru- Rosie, I almost called her Rudy, my dog growing up. I <laughs> Hopefully it will not compare my daughter to my black lab growing up many times um, again, although I loved um, 
You love both. Yeah, I love Rudy, and I love Rosie a lot. Uh, the fact that this era, um, boy, I've lost my train of thought. Okay, Grigson, the luck pick was obvious. Rosie could have made the selection. Costanzo was already in the building. Mathis was already in the building. Now, they did decide to keep Mathis, kind of project him into a 3-4. I mean, I think that's where you deserve some credit there as well. Mathis had the 2013 season where he led the league in sacks. I mentioned Wald, then I mentioned Vontae Davis. You sit here right now with this era, and you're like, wait, wait, what's the play? You know, what are you doing at quarterback? I understand luck is a different stratosphere. But you can make your arguments at wide out. There hasn't been a Hilton-type pick. There hasn't been anything close to a Hilton-type pick. We'll see if Pittman gets there eventually. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, at tackle, Costanzo Grigson had. There hasn't really been any answer there at tackle. Pass rush and corner, I think some opportunities – to find some answers there, and you just haven't had it to that level. Um, so I would say that is where something where Grigson takes the cake, if you will, and comparing it to the positions that really matter. And in the end, Chris, that probably contributes to the overall record that you see. And when Grigson was let go, I think I have this right here. I wrote it down. 49-27. and 27. Okay. After five seasons, none of them losing seasons, three and three in the playoffs. Uh, the Ballard era right now is at 41 and 40, one and two in the playoffs. Uh, now that includes a four and 12 first season. And I've said this many times before, and I'll say it again. When they canned Grigson, they just should have just canned Chuck. You know, you should have just given Ballard, all right, here's a full clean slate, just like you did with Polian and Caldwell leaving and Grigson and exactly. Madonna walking in. I agree. So the 4-12 and 12 season, it's just kind of like, yeah, I mean, it, it, it happened. But uh, yeah, I, I just never understood Ursay's. That's Ursay's emotional connection with Chuck, um, in my opinion. I think something that we've waited now X amount of minutes into this podcast we haven't yet mentioned, and I think is a popular misconception with the Grigson era, you will often hear, People say, he had luck, he had luck, he had luck. Referencing number 12. But if you look at the record when Andrew Luck didn't play, Chris, they were 6-4 and four without Andrew Luck during that time. 6-4. and four. And that is mid-season luck getting hurt. You know, scrambling for Hasselbeck for a couple games. Scrambling with... You know the what the, the what do you call him the Coney Island gunslinger Pagano called Josh Freeman Josh and Ryan Freeman, Lindley yeah. and <laughs> you know Charlie Whitehurst is dating Jewel or whoever it is I don't know for some reason Cher popped into my head I think it's Jewel. Um, by the way, we played a game on vacation, the fishbowl game. You ever played one of those where like no. you do charades and then you do one word to act out the clue and then I've not. Um, well. Now that I'm thinking about it, this was not the fishbowl game, but it was a different type of game, and it was a one-word famous person, and one of the clues was Chameleonaire. Do you remember the singer Chameleonaire? I do remember Chameleonaire. The song Good Morning. I used to listen to that as I would walk to class in, in college, yes. We had a morning <laughs> radio show at the time, and that was our intro song. Very cliche, but uh, nonetheless, shout-out to Chameleonaire if you're still around. <laughs> um, six and four without Andrew Luck. So, you know, that is an argument that's certainly in the Grixon camp. Now, how sustainable would that have been over time? Sure, I, I, I can hear that argument. Um, so it's it's fascinating when you break it down. You know, how do you grade a GM? Is it purely on drafting? Is it purely on wins and losses? 
Um, how your roster is set up. I think one thing that I liked about the Grigson rosters that I don't think has been there in the Ballard rosters, I thought Grigson did a nice job of finding a little bit of an edge to get in that locker room. Walden had a little bit of that. He's the guy that probably first comes to mind. Yeah. I don't think the the Ballard era has had enough of that. Um, without question, without question, the drafting has been better. And ultimately, I do think that is critical to your foundation moving forward, to sustaining things at a long-term level. The results have got to start to get there for Ballard. Um, and if I had to label, like, who do I think is the better GM, who would I rather hire as a GM, it would be Chris Ballard. But I think the gap is a little bit closer than I feel like a lot of people think of. I think a lot of people think Ballard is infinitely better than uh, Grigson and Ballard has obviously made some hires at very or made some draft picks at very important positions that have gotten some Hall of Fame talent in there. Um, the Grigson camp would probably argue with like, I can go get Jarrell Freeman to play linebacker, and I don't need to spend the 36 overall pick on Darius Leonard. Some would argue if Ryan Grigson had the 36 overall pick, that guy wouldn't make the roster anyways. And Bjorn Werner or you know insert a a, a busted Grigson draft pick here. So. Um, we talk about seat warmers um, with Frank Reich and Chris Ballard. Do you think they're tied together? And when you say that Ballard has better draft picks, is that yeah? Does that mean that Frank Reich? It's a good question. I, I'm not. I'm not trying to say is is, is a worse coach because I would never slight Frank Reich. I think he's a great person. Um, then Pagano, wh- where do you stand on the coach and the GM connection? Yeah, I, th- th- that's a good question. I think they should be tied at the hip. That comes more from my belief as, you know, GM and head coach, they are together and right or wrong, that's how you move move on. I don't I didn't mean that to rhyme as <laughs> you know, as smoothly as I as I did. Um but I feel like in Jim Mercy's eyes, he might hold Ballard just a little bit of an uptick above Reich. I think he really likes Frank, but a little bit of an uptick. You know, I mean the Carson Wentz thing, you know, what I would like for the Colts to explain to me is again where are we putting some level of blame for not having the amount of success of playing the easiest division in football? Right. You know, obviously, Gregson benefited from that division. Now, the Gregson era deserves some credit. You know, 16 straight AFC South wins is damn impressive. I, mm-hmm. I don't care who you're playing. But I, I just feel like there needs to be a little bit more transparency from this regime of like, all right, why has there been a little stuck in mud? You know, okay, is it the constant quarterback shuffle? Well, They've chosen to go down those routes quarterback-wise. I mean, we're now three off-seasons post-Andrew Luck, and nothing towards the long-term answer has been even attempted, really. I guess Wentz, but, I, you know, I don't I don't know if that even qualifies as it. Um, so, in, in summary, Chris, it, it's, it's complicated. I, I would still side with Ballard if I were moving forward with the general manager. Um, how horrific and poor the drafting is in the Grigson era is just hard to get around. Um, that, to me, I thought was going to lead the Colts down a dangerous slope. I know I'm projecting out, and the hard results were not necessarily there. I also think the dysfunction with the head coach and the GM is a big, big issue. You know, if, if Ryan Grigson really had – a big issue with Chuck Pagano, at some point you've got to go to Jim Irsay and say, look, I feel like we need to make a change. And I don't know, maybe he did do that. 
uh, but clearly there were some disagreements there that I think you need to have guys, for the most part, on the same page mm-hmm. in those decision-making. You can have disagreements and all of that, um, but I think that's something that you got to keep an eye on as well. Yeah. Anything else on that front? I, I don't... No, I mean, it's... it's. You know, having luck is so helpful. It, it, it is so helpful. Um, You've you, you never had to think about quarterback for really his entire tenure. Obviously, some injuries arose late in the tenure. That is huge. Um, Kevin, I don't think I, – I know we get questions all the time, and sometimes we joke about it that there's always an Andrew Luck question every week on the podcast. There's going to be Luck questions until we solidify the quarterback position. Right. right. And, yeah, and I, I don't want to touch on Luck now. I'll do it at the end of the pod because – I'm sure we already lost some people in talking about Grigson for for that long. But, yes, I agree wholeheartedly with that statement. Um, so, yeah, welcome to mid-July, folks. There's our kind of meaty topic of the day. If you've got anything else, Chris, chime in. If not, let's No, do, let's here's, here's a questions. good thing. Let's go to Twitter questions. But, as you guys know, we are coming into training camp, coming up here shortly. So, obviously, this is the heat of summer and also the heat of Twitter questions so we kind of try and touch on a little bit of everything. But hopefully here soon, we have some more topics to talk about. We will. As, as we see the players on the field, and we will enjoy it. So let's jump to Twitter questions, Kevin. First one from Wake Spikes, and it's a two-part question. Which Colt will be the biggest fantasy sleeper in a normal league? Naheem Hines, Jelani Woods, Paris Campbell, or Alec Pierce? Normal league. That's 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 a key part there. Secondly... He just saw that Jim Mercy bought James Brown's legendary cape. If you woke up with his bank account, what memorabilia collection would you have? <laughs> oh, boy. Well, that's a good one, Wake Spike. Uh, let, let's start with number one, Chris. Normal league I think is important because Naeem Hines, from a PPR standpoint, right. isn't the same value that he would be in one of those leagues. I, I just don't think Hines is any sort of a sleeper anymore. I mean, I, I wrote the article on Monday. You know, it's I did a national fantasy podcast as well earlier this week, and it's like, Naeem Hines' household. So I I would think Paris Campbell. You know, I mean, I can't see him getting drafted in a whole lot of 12-team leagues, but, you know, there's a chance when he is healthy, he's getting peppered with, you know, eight targets a game, yep. and that is extremely valuable there. Tight end-wise, I, I, I don't know if I'm ready really to commit to anybody um, in that camp. Um, memorabilia-wise, what do I want? Chris, I've got it. I, I, you're taking something. You're taking a master's flag signed by Tiger Woods. <laughs> uh, I am. Uh, I'm taking Tiger's putter. Yeah. <laughs> I want. I want Tiger's putter. I want it now, Chris. As you're wearing a Tiger Woods, I I, I knew right away it yeah. was going to be Tiger Woods. <laughs> I know today I'm really going full out here. It's like good thing I wore my wedding ring today because I have my other loves on Tiger hat and Notre Dame. Do I look like I don't know? Maybe like could I be like a grad assistant? You know when they wear the green jersey game? Yeah. With this polo. Yeah, I like it. Like I, it is a nice. Could polo. I be the holdback guy? You know, <laughs> get back behind the white line. The get back coach. You yeah, know, something like that. What a great job to, that is. Probably have to lift for about two straight. Month, uh, but yeah, give me Tiger Woods is uh, very famous and I don't know, maybe infamous putter. Uh, that's where I would go with there. Absolutely. All right, let's go to Paul. Let me try another take on his earlier question. 
Hopefully this one is worded a little bit better. I don't think he felt like we answered it correctly. Well, I think Paul, but remember Paul had the, um, he had the bold 2,000 yards for Taylor and then 1,000 yards each, I think, for, yes. was it Campbell and Pittman? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he says if Ryan, Jonathan Taylor, Michael Pittman, Alec Pierce, Naheem Hines, and Paris Campbell all stay healthy, what would you predict their yardage breakdown to be? Chris, I think I saw last week, maybe it was a few weeks ago, did I see the Jonathan Taylor over-under of yards, like 1,300, 1,350? Does that sound... Is that overall yards? Yeah, have you have, have you seen that number? I've not. I've not looked at futures yet, but I would... I mean, how do you Search not take Search Jonathan the... Taylor over-under yards okay. in 2022. Let me know if you find anything on that. I thought that's what I saw. Uh, I would hammer the over on that. I think Jonathan Taylor is going to hover right around 1,800 yards again. And I get it, your your passing offense might just pass the ball a little bit more, but I don't know. I just think Taylor's rare, so rare. And I get a couple offensive line changes. Um, so let's go Taylor. I, I don't know, maybe not 1,800. Let's go 1,700. I'll say Pittman climbs to 1,300. Um, and he's saying in here everyone stays healthy, right? All stay healthy, yeah. Yes. Boy, geez. But Campbell is, let's go 800 with Campbell. Um, I'll put Pierce in the 400 category that would be kind of on the high end honestly of rookies for the Colts and then Naheem Hines let's go a combo yardage there let's go 600 700 600 yeah let's go let's go about 6 650 for Naheem Hines okay so right now on fantasy pros which mm-hmm. again I I this is one of the first ones that I googled yeah they're projecting 2022 100 1,685.2 yards rushing and 355.4 yards receiving. Give that to me one more time. 1,685.2 yards rushing, 355.4 yards receiving. Okay, so that's much, and that's for Taylor, obviously. That's just for Jonathan Taylor. Yeah, that's much more on the high end with that. I thought... Um, I saw his over, and I'm going to see if I can find it right now here. Uh, okay, 1450 on DraftKings, 1350 on FanDuel. Okay. Again, I mean, that's just, I I get it. It, it. You know, injuries and father time and all those things, but, man, wouldn't you take the over on those? I, I, I hammer it, yeah. He's your workhorse. And especially right now, we talked about earlier, tight ends not yeah. necessarily knowing what you have you did nothing i mean it's like that's that's your guy right. now granted everyone knows that's your guy so do they stack the box but still the way that he's able to perform yeah i mean the yards after contact that he gets in general he's gonna lean forward for two to three more yards could not agree more on that yeah yeah that is a that's a bit surprising to me let's jump to a question from rick who makes it further this upcoming season? Our team, as so, okay, this is this is actually a good one. Okay, if we had Peyton Manning at the helm instead of Matty Ice, or our team with Dwight Freeney and Robert Mathis in, at the ends instead of Quiddy Pay and Yannick and Gakwe. So, which side of the ball are you jumping to? Whoa, okay, uh, one more time. Peyton Manning with the 2022 Colts. With our 2022 Colts, are we going okay. further with Peyton Manning? Instead of Matt Ryan. Instead of Matt Ryan, or are we going further with Dwight Freeney and Robert Mathis on the ends instead of Quiddy Pay and Yannick Ngakwe? Wow, 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 wow. Rick, this is nice. I like it. Um, 
boy, you got to go with Manning, right? I guess what you're asking here is the gap from Peyton to Matt Ryan. Right. You know, bigger versus the DN duo. And then mm-hmm. you're also throwing in how impactful that position, of course, is. I, I'm assuming prime Peyton would would be the other caveat I'd throw in there. But, boy, you talk about a D-line with Freeney, Mathis, and DeForest Buckner. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Three all-pros, yeah. You talk about, jeez, they can just see Trevor Lawrence just broken in half. <laughs> uh, I will go with um, I'll go with Peyton. Okay. Yeah. It's a good one. It is a good one. All right, Josh has another one. He wants to know how long-term of a prospect is Alec Pierce because 14 is his favorite number. He has a luck jersey. And what other good ones come to mind? So he so wants to buy an Alec Pierce jersey? He wants to buy an Alec Pierce jersey. Is is that worth well, ponying up money for right now? Josh, I, let me start off by saying yes, but I would wait until September 12th. That's true. Is Alec Pierce locked into 14? Didn't Michael Pittman rock like 86? In his first training camp preseason, or am I imagining things? You would know more than I. I'm not out at training camp. Um, I, I thought that first preseason. He might have. He was rocking that, and then he changed, obviously, to 11. So, you know, sometimes with wideouts, or just, I guess, any position in general, I just might hold off through training camp in the preseason just to make sure that that's kind of locked in mm-hmm. before you go there. Doesn't 14 look a little weird? Is DK Metcalf 14? Uh, he might be 14. I'm trying to think of other wideouts that are 14. Right now, I mean, we grew up in the era where wide receivers were 80s. Yeah, let's and, be honest, DK I Metcalf mean, could wear 67 and it would look good on him. Like <laughs> that's that is true. I'm still I'm still not used to the fact that these different position groups are changing jersey numbers and Yeah. I kind of like it. I mean, I don't. I'm not opposed to it. I'm just not used to it yet. Yeah, that's fair to say. I, okay, I would hold off a little bit, Josh. I think it's fine. I mean, I, I, I like Pierce. I think he's going to catch touchdowns. And you know, Josh, I don't know. Pierce seems like a good-looking dude. You might get a few, you know, chicks to look at you. Not to say that <laughs> chicks don't already look at you, Josh. This is not going well. Um, I probably should just move on to the next question. <laughs> All right, let's yeah, go. I, I, yeah, go ahead, buy it, but wait, wait, just wait till September. Just make sure that's the last thing you want to do, man. You know, buy it now, and all of a sudden he changes numbers. Yeah, I got an Austin. Naeem Coll- Hines, remember that? Yeah, forty-two I, to twenty-one. I got an Austin Collie signed helmet, and then I think the next week he mm. got a ball over the middle against gotcha. the Eagles, and oh yeah, that I was the end of it. Sure. And I was like, well, this is great. Gosh, the next play, I think Peyton threw to Blair White right down the seam as well. Just no regard. Question from Sam. When teams cut down to their final 53-man roster, and we talked about Ballard and Grixon earlier, do veteran players like Matt Ryan, do they give their thoughts? And his his example would be Jason Spriggs. Got it. So a little influence on the final roster decisions. Yes. Matt Ryan, Jason Spriggs, okay, I, I see where he's going with that one. Jason Spriggs played in Atlanta mm-hmm. last year and started, I think, a couple of games. Uh, that's interesting, Sam. That's a, good, that's a good point to bring up. I would say Ryan's input matters. I'd say it matters less than 10% in an overall decision, especially for offensive line. You know, Chris, it's one thing to be like, hey, when I'm in the huddle, I feel like Jason does this well. Or, you know, wide out, I think it matters a little bit more. You know, the – the feel of how he runs his routes and those things. I mean, offensive line, I mean, they, they obviously, how an offensive lineman does his job 
impacts the quarterback, but not like in a symmetrical way, if that makes sense. Like, you're not throwing the ball to the offensive lineman on this play. Like, for the most part, the offensive lineman does his job or doesn't do his job. He blocks like right. this. I don't think that has necessarily a direct correlation. A Again, symmetrical is popping in my head. I don't know if that makes sense. No, it does. Uh, but, yeah, I would say, you know, I would – if I were Chris Ballard, I'd probably bring in my leadership council a few days before cuts, and I'd say, all right, shoot, give me everything you guys got. Who you like in the locker room, who you don't. Um, who do you enjoy in a meeting room, who do you don't. Who works out well in the weight room, everything. And I'd take all of it and give me all the info. Give it to me. Give all the info to me, and I'll figure it out down the road. Makes sense to me. Question from Drew. Would you say the Colts have ruled out, ruled out signing Odell Beckham? He knows he's hurt, but he says that the, we would get a quarter of the way through the season if he was still there. I guess what he he says, I guess what I'm asking, is he a more viable option than signing T.Y. Hilton again or bringing in Julio Jones? Yeah, I, you know, health-wise would be the question there. So I would say yes. Um and does he want to come here? I mean, that's another question you have to ask. Again, towards ACL in the Super Bowl, so we're worried about Paris Campbell and that you know that. So, uh, I I would probably say that that is not going to happen, Drew. All right, five more. This one from Big Bama with the addition of Nanak or Ngakwe, Yannick Ngakwe, and hopefully with Quiddy Pay making a jump this year. What matchups are you looking forward to between the two tackles that can help put the league on notice to make these two a tandem? kind of like the Dwight Freeney, Robert Mathis that we talked about earlier. Well, I think let's start in camp. You know, I, I, I think that how Matt Pryor and Bernard Ryman hold up against him, I know that's not exactly what Big Bam is asking, but, you know, that's what I enjoy about camp is just the evaluation. Uh, Panay Sewell, you're going to see from the Lions in, in those joint practices. You know, that's something that you look mm -hmm. forward to. Um, as I look at the Colts' schedule, I mean, the Eagles have a really good tackle group. The Chiefs have obviously made some big uh, – over the years have made, I guess over the last couple of years, I should say, have made some changes to their offensive line. Mm -hmm. uh, boy, outside of that, I feel like New England always is a pretty good O-line. Chargers and Rashawn Slater you know, had a really nice rookie year out of Northwestern. So, yeah, yeah those are some of the I mean, teams. You're, you're going up about. against Taylor Lewan with Tennessee twice a year. I mean, yeah. Yeah. There's, yeah. They, the trenches, man, anymore, it's, they're great on both sides of the ball. Yeah, it's, and it's obviously necessary with yeah, you know how good end pairings are, and the Colts obviously hope they have a very potent one. Kevin Neal wants to know: Are the Colts doing anything differently this preseason to get more ready so we can start off strong for the first game? Finally, well, Neil, I, I think I mentioned it on last week's or the last podcast we did when the training camp schedule came out. One of the first things I noticed is you're practicing much closer to one o'clock. That's not great from a weather standpoint, but it is much more of, hey, you're at Jacksonville week two and it's 98 mm -hmm. degrees outside. How do you handle that? So I would say just from a body clock standpoint, that is uh, much more aligning with what they're doing in the regular season. You know, I'm always curious this time of year, how physical are they in practice? I don't think the Colts are very physical in practice. That's just my opinion on things. Obviously, I'm watching the Colts training camp and not watching the other, you know, 31. But I don't get that vibe. I think frequently when you see the joint practices happen, I tend to think the other team 
is a little bit more physical, and I think that kind of impacts things with the Colts. You know, right. I'm talking to a variety of people that have gone through NFL training camps. I think many are big believers in that you have to spar. You you have to do some of that. Yes, it might nick you up and take you out for three days in August, but it might also help you withstand the grind of a season as well. I get it's a difficult balance, but I, I do think that's something to continue to keep an eye on. So, you know, outside of that, nothing tangible, but I'll continue to ask around and certainly observe things in training camp. Travis has a three-parter. What I'll do is I'll read the three questions, and then we'll kind of go through them one by one if you want to do that. Okay. If you can add any player to the Colts, who would you add? If contract matters, thus you need to cut someone to uh, uh, offset the cap, who would you add and then cut? And then third, who would you add of anyone on their rookie deal? So let's start with the first one. Um, If you could add any player to the Colts, who would you add? Any player in the NFL. Any player in the NFL, who are you adding? Who do we just take on? Yeah, I'm pro. Boy, you know, I know I'm, we're focused on the first part now, but I'm probably looking at the next two as well. I, okay. I, I, I'm i probably adding Joe Burrow or Justin Herbert. I was in the same boat, especially with, would you say, Herbert's $7 million this year or something like yeah, that? Yeah, I want to say he's seven. I think Burrow's you know, a little bit north of there being the number one pick, but certainly not much. Um, I mean, hell, you got cap room right now right? <laughs> to, to, to bring one of those guys uh, on. Um you know, because age is a factor here. You know, if you were to get a Mahomes and Allen and Rodgers, whoever, uh, the gratification would be a little bit more short term. In the Rodgers case, it'll be a little bit more cap, certainly hindrance right. in the other guys. I mean, it's wild to think this, Chris. You're going to, I guess I just look it up. Justin Herbert and his cap situation versus Matt Ryan and his cap situation, just to play it out. Um, very different. <laughs> well, that that is an understatement. Uh, so the cap hit for Justin Herbert this year seven point two million, mm-hmm. eight point four million for next year. The cap hit for Matt Ryan this year is eighteen point seven, and the cap hit next year is thirty five point two. <laughs> So the cap hit there's your answer for Justin Herbert is would be one fourth of Matt Ryan's for next season. Unbelievable, and he has the most touchdown throws over the first two seasons of any quarterback in the NFL. I think and he passed Dan Marino by one last year. Chris and we say all of this out loud right now, and just the thing that is just popping in seventy two font and neon lights in my brain right now is. Get a quarterback on a rookie contract. Mm-hmm. And it goes back to probably our Grixon thing from earlier. It's just what you can do, how you can build. Put the talent aside. Justin Herbert, is, you'd rather have him play quarterback than Matt Ryan right now. You factor in all of that, not to mention just like, again, clean slate, clean mind. You guys have heard me say that so often about, all right, let's get someone in the building that um, you can mold. You know, doesn't have preconceived notions and and scar tissue like Carson Wentz came with all of that so Travis as always terrific question there and um yeah Herbert Burrow two more this one's from Latrell and this is one that a lot of people were asking we kind of 
touched on it a little bit earlier. Do you think Frank Reich's influence on what players he is choosing is affecting the personnel and the preference? Is it detrimental? Is it detrimental to the roster building, especially the main one that everyone's going to talk about is Wentz with the recency bias. Do you think he's he thinks he's one of the best play callers, but do you think sometimes he ponders his thoughts without knowledge of how much influence Frank has in that department? Yeah, this is a good one. Um, certainly there is some, you know, and I do think Frank deserves a little bit of blame for it. I also think it's just kind of a human tendency that we're all there with. You know, you want to be tied with people you know. I mean, anybody, I mean, look at any business and hirings that you have. Uh, boy, I sound like a college professor. You know, it's a lot about who you know. Well, Kevin, you are a college professor. <laughs> I mean, it, it, that is a very true statement, right or wrong. Um, and in this case, I do think it's, I can make it work with Phil Rivers. I can make it work with Carson Wentz. You understand why he would go there, but at the end of the day, you have to have some consequences for that belief and for those results and not being able to separate yourself. I think the Adam Vinatieri situation might be the most glaring of them all. That was in season. You know, what are Tiger Woods' odds this week to win the Master or to win the British Open, Chris? That I do not know. You would know way better than I. If you had to guess, 152 guys in the field, where do you think Tiger ranks in that field? Um, I'd have to think about what Tiger's done at the British Open. Uh, let's go 54th. I, I w- 50s was jumping out to me. Um, if this was 2,000, where would Tiger Woods rank? 1 to 152 in the field. <laughs> Top five. One. <laughs> yeah. One. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. What I'm getting at with the Vinatieri thing is like at times it was like Frank's wearing these blinders where he's watching kicks to beat the Panthers and beat the Eagles or whoever he beat to win Super Bowls. Right. And he's watching a kick to beat the Raiders in the snow and he's not watching him kick on the Sundays when it mattered. So that is where I do feel like direct fault, direct blame to that. So um, detrimental to the roster building, that is a pretty harsh way to put it. So maybe what's like not as detrimental to you know like right you know in a way it's you know I don't know familiarity with a Trey Burton worked out for a year I guess but again I realize those are not at the same impact level as the other so I don't know Latrell maybe detrimental is the right word to use um, I probably wouldn't go to that full degree but no other words popping in my head so well clearly like you said Rivers and Wentz those were those are Reich. I think Matt Ryan is Ballard. Would you agree or would you disagree with that? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I've shared this before, but basically this is how the offseason unfolded for the Colts. Chris Ballard came to Frank Reich and said, all right, these are the quarterbacks available. Trubisky, Dalton, Winston, Mariota. You know, remember all those names yep. that were free agents? He said to Chris, or Chris said to Frank, watch film on these guys and tell me who we can win a division with, who we can win a Super Bowl with. Frank comes back and says, no one. So Chris sits there and says to himself, all right, uh, there's no point in going and being the first one to get Trubisky then, like Pittsburgh did, to start the offseason. Let's sit back and let's hope for, and I said this from January on, pray for dominoes. Yes. I've said it with the Pacers right now. You know, you're kind of like, hey, let Durant fall. Let Gobert fall. See if you can benefit from the scraps of that. 
with the Colts, it was, let's see what happens with Rodgers. Let's see what happens with Russell Wilson. Let's see what happens with Deshaun Watson. The Colts didn't have a first-round pick to get involved with those guys, but where can you benefit? So part of it is luck, for sure, and that is not Andrew. That is L-U-C-K, lowercase. But part of it is also, I do think Colts deserve some credit in this. They didn't press. So then when the Watson stuff started to happen, and I don't want to act like Matt Ryan had his choice of 13 teams to go to, but Matt Ryan looked at the Colts, and I think looked at Frank Reich and thought, all right, guys like playing for him, quarterbacks like playing for him, let's go there and see. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yes, luck was involved there, but also the Colts do, I think, provide a pretty attractive spot for him and quarterbacks in general. All right, last Twitter question to Which wrap. is just wild to think about. Yeah. Sorry, Chris. No, you're fine. If not Matt Ryan, who? <laughs> if Deshaun Watson... If that all of a sudden leads to, let's say Atlanta never gets involved, Watson goes to Cleveland, is Mariota the starter here? Is Winston the starter here? Are you trading up for Desmond Ritter? I'd probably go draft, yeah. And then you're giving Desmond Ritter the keys from day one. You know, it's just. But then at the same time, I mean, you, is then, Nick Foles the starter? Uh, like, it's just. Boy, yeah. it's wild to think about. It, it's a. It's a great July game, and it's a fun and dangerous game to play. But, like, you always just think of those what-if scenarios. Right. If Matt Eberflus is still here, I don't think Yannick Ngakwe is is here. I don't know if Stephon Gilmore is here. It's just, it's interesting how everything unfolds where what Chicago decided at their head coaching hire, what Atlanta decided, decided with their pursuit at quarterback has massive influence Massive influence on how this Colts 2022 season is going to go. And like you said, you mentioned dominoes earlier, and that's what we waited for. And hopefully Matt Ryan is the perfect domino to fall on us. Boom. Last question from John, and this is always uh, fun. Uh, We always like to end it with kind of a fun one, but this one's a little bit more serious. Do you think Peyton Manning has a grudge against Jim Irsay and the Colts? He feels like nationally he identifies more with the Denver Broncos and does a lot of stuff with their PR. And as a Colts fan, he feels like a lot of people notice this. He's where he lives in Denver. Maybe that's all that it is. But is there more to it than that, do you think? He can see as a competitor that he would like to hold a grudge after being cut, regardless of the circumstances. Thanks again for all the great work that you do. Take care. John, I appreciate that. John sent this a while back, and I think with – you know, seeing the Broncos' ownership thing, Peyton's name kind of floated around there. Condoleezza Rice, by the way, I saw that yesterday. Yeah, she's with, always in. With, I mean, NCAA. She's she's always in football yeah, news. Yeah, the college football playoff committee. I think for a minute there. Anyways, um, I you know I think um, I think this is any sort of human being, and this goes back probably to my Frank Reich siding with people he knows. You know, if Peyton Manning comes back to Crooked Stick, you know the famed golf course here in. In Carmel suburb, just north of Indianapolis. He comes back there, and he plays around with his buddies, and they go to the men's room, grill, whatever you want to call it, after the round, and, you know, whatever. Bruce, the bartender, starts making the drinks, and a couple of them are a little extra stiffy. And, you know, one of the members is like, all right, Peyton, let's see, you know, are you still <laughs> boys with Ursay? <laughs> I think Jim Ursay thinks they're better friends than Peyton Manning thinks they are. 
I didn't. And like, do you fault Peyton for that? Peyton felt like he clearly could still play. Did he understand understand where the Colts are coming from? Sure, but he's a compet. He is a crazy competitor. So you're never going to pull that completely out of him. So yeah, there's going to be a little bit of a grudge. Now, are they cordial? Do they have conversations? Is there still a friendly relationship? Was Peyton at the national title game, sitting in Ursay's suite, all that? Yes, all those things. Um, but there is a little bit more. Right or wrong. You know, where Peyton ended up settling down with his family, you know, part of that I think is just because the kids kind of grew up a little bit more early on in Denver. I'm not, like, necessarily here to, you know, boy, I think the Zionsville School District is better than the Loveland School District or whatever is the school district out there in in, in Colorado. Um, So, yeah, a, a little bit. But I don't think it's overwhelming. Peyton clearly still has many friends in that organization, many people he's fond of, and Jim Mercy's done a lot of, Unbelievable thanks for Peyton Manning. He still does. But that's just part of the business. Right. Um, and, and, you know, I, I did want to just mention before we round things out, Zach Kiefer's podcast with Andrew Luck. And, again, for those that missed it, six-part series on the Athletic Football Podcast. Highly encourage people to listen to it. Um, it's much more than just the retirement. You know, I was texting one of my buddies who was asking me, hey, should I listen to it? I love behind-the-scenes stuff. I love a little bit more detail on complex individuals, complex storylines, and that's what you get with this. David Shaw, Bruce Arians, and shout-out to Jacoby Brissett, who, boy, uh, him and I certainly have had um, some nice conversations. It would be one way to put it over the years. I was shocked to hear some of the candor out of Jacoby Brissett throughout those. You know, I think all of his teammates, there's a reason you don't see Costanzo, Jack Doyle, Jack Muhor, some of those guys in there. I think some of them wanted to back away a little bit from it. Uh, but I thought there were some really great stories in there. You know, many of them I knew. Some of them I did not know. Um, so I really enjoy listening to it. I get the rawness from fans. It's why you love fandom. It's why I have a job. All of that. I understand if some people want no part of it. Uh, but I thought it was a very fine and well done six-part series. You know, we can get a lot more into this. I know you know, people have talked endlessly about this. And just a couple things that popped into my head about this situation. I think Luck, and again, this is me thinking, I think he regrets not having surgery after the 2015 season. You know, he gets hurt. Jarrell Casey hits him in that week three game against Tennessee. Plays the rest of the year, you know, sits out two games, and then plays the rest of the year through that. Lacerated kidney at one point during that season. And I think the Luck camp and the Colts camp needed to come together that offseason and say, you need to get surgery. Colts are about ready to hand him that giant extension, well-deserved extension at the time, but still. Um, you want to let's take care of this right here, right now, and let's not worry about it. Yeah. He tries to rehab. He plays the 2016 season. He doesn't practice every day in that 2016 season uh, because of that. Um, I think he only missed one game due to concussion that year. Uh, but then all of a sudden he needs surgery after the 2016 season, and look, doesn't play in 2017. So I think that's one regret in this process that maybe started that spiral of constant pain, constant rehab. Could you have kind of nipped that a little bit back then? That's something I've always thought about the situation. And the other thing that I wanted to mention, Chris, feel free to chime in. I didn't have that big of an issue with the booing when Luck did retire, or I should say the news broke of that retirement. I think what a couple people, or what a couple things that people need to keep in mind about that. It is fourth quarter of a Saturday night preseason game. 
the people in the building of Lucas Oil Stadium at that time are the diehard of the diehardest fans. And some of them that, and not to take away from people's financial, but that sometimes that's the only games that those diehard fans can go to Correct. because during the season, ticket prices yeah. can mm-hmm. be astronomical. So yes. they want to just be there to root on their hometown team. And, and I think the booing was more, in my opinion, was more to do with, I, th- I think two things with the booing. One, and I think this is the overwhelming one, had to do with what the f- yeah what the hell is happening? I see him on the sideline. This news is breaking with Adam Schefter. Security is ushering him off the field. He's talking with his teammates. Just the sheer confusion about mm-hmm. all of it. Not to mention a couple, you know, cold ones probably in some people as well. <laughs> yeah. That I think is where some of the booing comes from. And then secondly, and I thought this was an issue by luck. The fact that he was out there a week before going through pregame warm-ups inside of Lucas Oil Stadium, and he acted, I mean, he was going through warm-ups like it was the Super Bowl. And if you want to do that fine and well, you can go do it in a closed Grand Park the very next day when they get back to training camp. You don't need to do it in front of all those cameras and all the fans that are in there for pregame warm-ups and things like that. Right. So you had provided this false perception to all these fans thinking, oh, my God, he's going to be ready. Look at him. I mean, we all can see it. We're all watching it with our own eyes. And 48 hours later, he walks into Chris Bauer, or he walks into Jim Mercy's office and tells him that he's retiring. I understand that there was a lot of mental strain going on, but Andrew Luck's a smart dude. The optics yeah. of that, I think you got to read the room a little bit in that situation. And I've said this before, but the hope and the goal – was they would have had the press conference the day before that game. That was the whole goal, Oliver Luck. And I, I I don't know if it was just Oliver, but I think maybe some other family members for Andrew cannot get into town in time, and that is why they had to wait until Saturday, and that's when Schefter did what Schefter does. And no issue with Adam Schefter doing his job. Um, right. I, you, know, you guys know I got issues with him, but yeah. none, none, none <laughs> with that. So Kevin, three days prior to that um... – I interviewed Tony Dungy on a show that we pre-recorded that was to air on Sunday. Oh, boy. That's awkward. And I was like, how's Andrew? He's like, you know, I think he's coming back. Like, you know, he looks great. Yeah, because Dungy was at training camp. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure we had to pull the segment from the air because... (laughs) Worthless. Just eight hours prior, Andrew looks retired. It's like, wow. Complex, a lot of gray area. I get why people have turned off this podcast already, but at the same time, um, I enjoyed Zach's effort with it and trying to give us a little bit more. Um, I know we talked to Andrew for about 90 minutes off the record. Andrew still lives in Indy. All those, I mean, hell, he's six days older than I am. He's just kind of wild, Chris, to think about all of it. So good work to him. Welcome to Mid-July Stories. This is why we did the Ryan Grigson, Chris Ballard. Angle, I can promise you next week's podcast will be our training camp preview pod. It'll be 2022 Colt-centric. So for those of you that have wanted to make your ears bleed during the last hour, thank you for sticking with us. And next week will be much more relevant in terms of present-day topics. Anything else on your end? No, all good. He's Chris Presley. I'm Kevin Bowen. Everybody have a great week, and we'll talk to you next week on Kevin's Corner. This has been Kevin Bowen. Thank you for listening to another edition of Kevin's Corner. If you haven't already, subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher for the best Colts and Pacers coverage.